Xavier University is tackling Ohio's nursing shortage by giving individuals with non-nursing bachelor's degrees an opportunity to accelerate into the profession. Whether you studied accounting, biology, marketing, or anything in between, our ABSN program can prepare you for nursing practice in as few as 16 months. So if nursing is your calling, now's the time to answer it. Enroll for one of three terms at our locations in Cincinnati, Cleveland, or Columbus. Search Xavier ABSN to apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. We dive into stories of true crime, from unsolved cold cases to historic kidnapping to gangsters and beyond. We are your source for true crime. We thank you for listening. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. I am your host, Larry Lease. Today, we continue our series of American gangsters and mobsters with Babyface Nelson. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Poddex, for sponsoring this episode. Check them out today at poddex.com. Use the promo code on Larry21 to save 10% off your order. And of course, we'd also like to thank Audible for sponsoring this episode. If you're interested in getting a free audiobook of your choice, check out audibletrial.com slash Larry21. And before we dive into today's topic, we'd like to remind you that you can be a part of the show. Send us a voicemail at 682-305-0483. And now on to today's topic. Lester Joseph Gillis also known as George Nelson and Babyface Nelson, was an American bank robber who became a criminal partner of John Dillinger when he helped Dillinger escape from prison in Crown Point, Indiana. Later, the FBI announced Nelson and the remaining gang of bank robbers, bank robbers, excuse me, collectively as public enemy number one. The Babyface Nelson nickname derived from Gillis being a short man with a youthful appearance. However, in the professional realm, Gillis' fellow criminals addressed him as Jimmy, a violent robber. Lester Joseph Gillis killed more agents of the FBI than has any other criminal. FBI agents fatally wounded and killed Babyface Nelson in the Battle of Barrington, fought in the suburb of Chicago, Illinois, which of course we'll cover later, later on. Nelson was born Lester Joseph Gillis on December 6, 1908, in Chicago, Illinois. 
He was arrested on July 4th, 1921, at the age of 12, after he accidentally shot a playmate in the jaw with a pistol he had found. He served over a year in the state reformatory. Nelson was again arrested for car theft and joyriding at age 13 and was sent to a penal school for an additional 18 months and later released on April 11th, 1924. He joined the gang during his mid-teens and became its leader. In 1928, he married Helen Wozniak, and they had two children. By the time he met Helen, <clears throat> by the time he met Helen, Nelson was working at a standard oil station in his neighborhood, which doubled as the headquarters for a group of young tyrant thieves, known colloquially as strippers. Nelson fell into association with the strippers and acquainted himself with a number of local criminals, including one who employed him to drive bootleg alcohol throughout the Chicago suburbs. Nelson became associated with members of the suburb-based Tui gang. Hopefully I'm saying that right. Within two years, Nelson and the gang were involved in organized crime, especially armed robbery. On January 6, 1930, the associates forced entry into the home of magazine executive Charles Richter. After chasing him up with adhesive tape and cutting the phone lines, they ransacked the house and made off with approximately $205,000 worth of jewelry, which is equivalent to about $3.3 million in today's money. Two months later, they carried out a similar robbery at the bungalow of Lottie Brenner von Duelo. This job netted $50,000 worth of jewelry. After the crime, Chicago newspapers nicknamed the group the Tape Bandits. I guess it's a little better than being called the Whip Bandits. On April 21st, 1930, Nelson robbed a bank for the first time, making off with approximately $4,000. A month later, he and his gang netted $25,000 worth of jewelry from home invasions. On October 3rd, Nelson robbed the Itisca State Bank of $4,600. The teller later identified him as one of the robbers. Three nights later, he stole the jewelry of the wife of Chicago Mayor Big Bill Thompson, valued $18,000. She described her attacker saying, quote, he had a baby face. He was good looking, hardly more than a boy, had dark hair, and was wearing a gray top coat and a brown felt hat. Nelson and his crew were later linked to a botched roadhouse robbery in Summit, Illinois. In the ensuing gunfight, three people were killed and three were wounded. Three nights later, Nelson's gang robbed a tavern on Waukegan Road, and Nelson committed his first murder of note when he fatally shot stockbroker Edward Edwin R. Thompson. Throughout the winter of 1931, most of the tape bandits were rounded up, including Nelson. The Chicago Tribune referred to their leader as George Babyface Nelson, who received a sentence of one year to life in the state penitentiary at Juliet. Nelson escaped during a prison transfer in February 1932. Through his contacts within the gang, Nelson fled west to Reno, where he was harbored by William Graham, a known crime boss and gambler. Using the alias Jimmy Johnson, Nelson went to Sausalito, California, where he worked for bootlegger Joe Parente. During his San Francisco Bay Area criminal ventures, Nelson met John Paul Chase and Fatso Negri, 
who later became close associates. In Reno the next winter, Nelson first met the vacationing Alvin Carpus, who in turn introduced him to Midwestern bank robber Eddie Benz. Teaming up with Benz, Nelson returned to the Midwest the next summer. He commanded a major bank robbery in Grand Haven, Michigan on August 18, 1933, his first in the area. The robbery was not lucrative, but most of those involved made a full escape. The Grand Haven bank robbery convinced Nelson he was ready to lead his own game. Through connections at the Green Lantern Tavern in St. Paul, Nelson recruited Homer Van Meter, Tommy Carroll, and Eddie Green. With these men and two other local thieves, Nelson robbed the First National Bank of Brainerd, Minnesota, netting $32,000, equivalent to $670,000 in today's money. Witnesses reported that Nelson wildly sprayed submachine gun bullets at bystanders as he made his getaway. After collecting his wife Helen and four-year-old son Ronald, Nelson left with his crew for San Antonio, Texas. While there, Nelson and his gang bought several weapons from underworld gunsmith Hyman Lehman. One of those weapons was a 38 Super Colt pistol that had been modified so it was fully automatic. Nelson used his gun to kill Special Agent W. Carter Baum at Little Bohemian Lodge several months later. On December 9, 1933, a local woman tipped off San Antonio police regarding the presence of, quote, high-powered northern gangsters. Two days later, Tommy Carroll was cornered by two detectives and opened fire, killing Detective H.C. Perrin and wounding Detective Al Hartman. All the Nelson gang except Nelson fled San Antonio. Nelson and his wife traveled west to the San Francisco Bay Area, where he recruited John Paul Chase and Fatso Negri for a new wave of bank robberies the following spring. On the afternoon of April 20th, Nelson, John Dillinger, Van Meter, Carol Hamilton, and gang associate and errand runner Pat Riley, accompanied by Nelson's wife Helen and three girlfriends of the other men, arrived at the secluded Little Bohemia Lodge in Wisconsin for a weekend of rest. The gang's connection to the resort apparently came from previous dealings between Dillinger's attorney and lodge owner Emil Wanaka. Though gang members greeted him by name, Wanaka maintained that he was unaware of their identities until sometime later that night. According to Brian Burroughs' book, Public Enemies, America's Greatest Crime Wave and the Birth of the FBI, this most likely happened when Wanaka was playing cards with Dillinger, Nelson, and Hamilton. When Dillinger won around and raked in the pot, Wanaka caught a glimpse of Dillinger's pistol concealed in his coat and noticed that Nelson and the others also had shoulder holsters. The following day, while she was away from the lodge with her young son at a children's birthday party, Wanaka's wife informed a friend, Henry Voss, that the Dillinger gang was at the lodge, and the FBI was subsequently given the tip early on April 22nd. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. 
Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Melvin Purvis and a number of agents arrived by plane from Chicago. And with the gang's departure imminent, attacked the lodge quickly and with little preparation and without notifying or obtaining help from local authorities. Monaca offered a $1 dinner special on Sunday nights, and the last of the crowd, estimated at 75 people, were leaving as the agents arrived in the front driveway. In 1933, Chevy Coup was leaving at the moment with three departing Lodge customers, John Hoffman, Eugene Boisnow, and John Morris, who apparently did not hear in order to halt because the car radio drowned out the agents yelling at them to stop. The agents quickly opened fire on them, instantly killing boys no, and wounding the others and alerting the gang members inside. Adding to the chaos at this moment, Pat Riley returned to the lodge after an out-of-town errand for Van Beter, accompanied by John Hamilton's girlfriend, Pat Sherrington. Accosted by the agents, Riley and Sherrington backed out and escaped under fire. Dillinger, Van Meter, Hamilton, and Carroll escaped through the back of the lodge, which was unguarded, and made their way north on foot through woods past a lake to commandeer a car and a driver in a resort a mile away. Carroll was not far behind. He made it to Manitouish and stole a car, making it uneventfully to St. Paul. Nelson, who had been outside the lodge in the adjacent cabin, characteristically attacked the raiding party head-on, exchanging fire with purpose before retreating into the lodge under return volley from other agents. From there, he slipped out the back and fled in the opposite direction from the others, emerging from the woods 90 minutes later. A mile away from Little Bohemia, Nelson kidnapped the laying couple from their home and ordered them to drive him away. Apparently, dissatisfied with the car's speed, he quickly ordered them to pull up at a brightly lit house where the switchboard operator, Alvin Corner, aware of the Ongoing events quickly phoned authorities at one of the involved lodges to report a suspicious vehicle in front of his home. Shortly after Nelson had entered the home, taking the coroner as hostage, Emil Wanaka arrived with his brother-in-law and a lodge employee and were also taken prisoner. Nelson ordered coroner and Wanaka back into the vehicle, where the fourth man remained unnoticed in the back seat. As they were preparing to leave with Wanaka driving at gunpoint, Another car arrived with two federal agents, W. Carter Baum and J. Newman, as well as a local constable, Carl Christensen. Nelson asked the agents who they were, and upon the agents identifying themselves, Nelson quickly opened fire with his fully automatic pistol, severely wounding Christensen and Newman and killing Baum, who was hit three times in the neck. Nelson was later quoted as having said that Baum had him cold and could not understand why he had not fired. It was found that the safety catch on Baum's gun was on. At the time of the Little Bohemia shootout, Nelson's identity as a member of the Dillinger gang had been known to the FBI for two weeks. Following the killing of Baum, Nelson became nationally notor- notorious and was made a high-priority target of the Bureau. The focus on him and the murdered agent served to deflect some of the intense criticism directed at Hoover and Purvis following the Little Bohemia debacle. The day after the raid, Dillinger, Hamilton, and Van Meter ran through a police roadblock, roadblock 
near Hastings, Minnesota, drawing fire from officers. A ricocheting bullet struck Hamilton in the back, fatally wounding. Hamilton reportedly died in hiding on April 30th or May 1st, 1934, and was secretly buried by Dillinger and others, including Nelson. On June 7th, gang member Tommy Carroll was killed while trying to evade arrest in Waterloo, Iowa. Carroll and his girlfriend, Jean, had grown close to them, Nelson's, and his death was a personal blow to them. Nelson and his wife went into hiding during the ensuing weeks, and although they were in the Chicago area, their precise moments in this period remain obscure. And Nelson's reportedly lived in various tourist camps while continuing to secretly meet with family members whenever possible. On June 27th, former gang errant runner and little Bohemia fugitive Pat Riley was arrested in St. Paul, Minnesota. <clears throat> On July 22nd, 1934, Dillinger was ambushed and killed by FBI agents outside the Biograph Theater in Lincoln Park, Chicago. The next day, the FBI announced that Pretty Boy Floyd was now public enemy number one. On October 22, 1934, Floyd was killed in a shootout with agents including Melvin Purvis. Subsequently, Hoover announced that Nelson was now public enemy number one. On August 23, Van Meter was ambushed and killed by police in St. Paul, Minnesota, leaving Nelson as the sole survivor of the so-called Second Dillinger Game. In the ensuing months, Nelson and his wife, usually accompanied by Chase, drifted west to cities including Sacramento, San Francisco, Reno, and Las Vegas. They often stayed in auto camps, including Wally's Hot Springs outside Genoa, Nevada, where they hid out from October 1st before returning to Chicago around November 1st. By the end of the month, FBI interest had settled on a former hideout of Nelson's, the Lake Como Inn in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin where it was believed that Nelson might return for the winter. When the Nelsons and Chase did return to the inn, they briefly came face-to-face with surprised and unprepared FBI agents who had staked it out. The fugitives sped away before any shots were fired. A short but furious gun battle between agents and Nelson took place on November 27, 1934, outside Chicago in the town of Barrington, culminating in the deaths of Nelson and FBI agents Herman Hollis and Samuel Calvin. On the morning of November 27th, along with his wife Helen Gillis and associate John Paul Chase, headed south in a stolen VA forge toward Chicago on U.S. Highway 12. Nelson, always keen to spot federal agents, caught sight of a sedan driven in the opposite direction by agents Thomas McDade and William Ryan. Both parties simultaneously recognized each other, and after several U-turns by both vehicles, Nelson wound up in pursuit of the agent's car. When Nelson's powerful Ford caught up to the agents, Chase opened fire on the agents. Ryan and McDade returned fire, sped up, and pulled into a field and awaited Nelson and Chase. McDade and Ryan were unaware that one of their bullets had punctured the water pump of Nelson's Ford. When Nelson's Ford rapidly losing power, a Hudson automobile driven by Hollis and Callie began pursuing the Ford. With his pursuers attempting to pull alongside, Nelson skidded the entrance to Barrington's Northside Park. 
Allison Kelly overshot Nelson's car by 100 feet and stopped at an angle. Upon exiting the vehicle's passenger door, the agents took cover behind their car. The ensuing shootout was witnessed by more than a dozen people. Nelson yelled to Helen to take cover in a nearby ditch. Then he had Chase open fire on the agents. Both Callie and Hollis returned fire from behind their vehicle. A single 45 slug from Callie's machine gun struck Nelson in the lower abdomen. Nelson leaned on the Ford's running board, then wordlessly exchanged weapons with Chase. Chase heard Nelson complain that his weapon was jamming, and the wounded Nelson swapped it out for either a 351 Winchester or a Colt Monitor machine rifle. Despite his grievous wound, Nelson moved from behind the car and advanced towards the agents while firing his weapon. Two of its bullets struck Cowley. Several buckshot pellets from Hollis's shotgun then struck Nelson in the legs and knocked him down. As Nelson regained his feet, Hollis, possibly already wounded, moved to better cover behind a utility pole. As he drew his service pistol, Nelson fatally shot Hollis in the head. Nelson staggered over Hollis's body aimed his weapon at the agent's fallen form for a moment, then limped toward the agent's Hudson. Nelson drove the car over to the disabled Ford. After loading the agent's car with the Ford's guns and supplies, Nelson let Chase get behind the wheel of the agent's car, and the two men and Helen Gillis fled the scene. Nelson was shot a total of nine times. A single machine gun slug had struck his abdomen, and eight of Hollis's shotgun pellets had hit his leg. <clears throat> Hollis was pronounced dead soon after arriving at the hospital at a different hospital. Kelly lived for long enough to confer briefly with Melvin Purvis and have surgery before succumbing to a stomach wound similar to Nelson's. Nelson's body was discovered wrapped in an Indian patterned blanket by FBI agent Walter Walsh in a ditch on the northeast corner of the St. Paul Lutheran Cemetery in Skokie taken to Hammond Funeral's home, both of which still exist. Helen later stated that she had placed the blanket around Nelson's body because, quote, he always hated being cold. Newspapers reported, based on the aggressive wording of an order from Hoover, that the FBI had issued a death order for Nelson's widow who wandered the streets of Chicago as a fugitive for several days, described in print as the U.S.'s first female public enemy. After surrendering on Thanksgiving Day, Ellen, who had been paroled after capture in Little Bohemia, served a year in prison for harboring her husband. Chase was apprehended later and served a term in Alcatraz. And that is all we have for this episode of the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. Let us know your thoughts on Babyface Nelson in the comment section below. And as always, you can find us on Twitter at True Crime NS or on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. And if you want to support the show, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNS. Your support helps the channel grow, upgrade our equipment, bring new hosts, pay them, and make even better content. And as always, thank you so much for watching and listening. We will see you next time. You have been listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast and on Twitter at True Crime NS. And follow us on Instagram at True Crime Never Sleeps. Thanks for watching. If you want to support the show,
buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNN or become a patron at patreon.com slash true crime never sleeps. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.